Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Kiera Corp's second quarter 2021 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press the star, then the number two. Thank you. I would now like to turn the call over to Dan Scott-Berson, who may begin. Thank you and good morning. Joining me today will be Dean Setaguchi, President and CEO, Eileen Marikar, Senior Vice President and CFO, Jamie Urquhart, Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, Bradley Locke, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, and Jared Bethilney, Incoming Senior Vice President, Operations and Engineering. We'll begin with some prepared remarks, after which we will open the call for your questions. I'd like to remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will refer to some non-GAAP financial measures. For additional information on non-GAAP measures and forward-looking statements, refer to Kiera's public filings available on CDAR and on our website. With that, I'll turn the call over to Dean. Thanks, Dan, and good morning, everyone. We've had a great first half of 2021 with strong performance in all three big business segments. Recovering commodity prices, along with the actions we've been taking to drive further efficiencies, are delivering excellent results. In our gathering processing segments, we've been focused on driving higher margins by utilizing available capacity. Volumes are up over 10% year-to-date, including about 25% growth in our North region, and that's led to record quarterly margin contribution from this segment. Of note, the Pipestone plant operated at a high utilization in June, well ahead of our original expectations. In mid-2022, we look forward to welcoming an additional producer who has contracted out the remainder of the plant under a long-term take-or-pay agreement. In our south region, we are also seeing an increase in drilling activity in our capture areas as properties change hands to stronger, better capitalized producers. Our liquid infrastructure segment continued to see high demand for its services. Deliveries from our condensate systems remain strong as oil sands production continued to ramp up. Although we had some planned maintenance at our Fort Saskatchewan complex, our fractionation assets remained highly utilized, as did our storage facilities. The liquid infrastructure segment generates returns that are amongst the highest in our portfolio with high barriers to entry and stable long-term cash flows. We'll continue to direct most of our future growth capital to this business segment, which includes the CAPS pipeline project currently under construction. The marketing segment continued to add significant value, enhancing overall corporate returns. Here we leveraged our infrastructure assets and logistics expertise connect customers to the highest value markets. 
Due to improving commodity fundamentals and our discipline risk management program, we now expect to come in at the upper end of our marketing guidance of 260 to 290 million for 2021. Turning to our company's leadership, and here I'd like to inject a note of pride in Kira's bread strength in succession planning, which allows for a few smooth transitions. On November 1st, 2021, Bradley Locke, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, will retire from Kira. Brad has been with us for 17 years in various senior executive roles. We thank you, Brad, and wish you well in retirement. Succeeding Brad will be Jared Bastilney, who has been appointed Senior Vice President Operations and Engineering. Jared is currently Vice President Operations for the Gathering Processing Business Unit and has been with Kiara since 2004. Our aim is to deliver superior shareholder returns over the long term, and we will do this by focusing on capital discipline, increasing the competitiveness of our assets, strengthening our integrated value chain, and demonstrating leadership in ESG performance. Overall, we're pleased by our results year to date and encouraged to see an increase in activity in the basin. I'll now turn it over to Eileen to provide an update on our Q2 financial results. Thanks, Dean. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $224 million. This reflects a 23% increase over the same period last year. This result includes the impact of a $20 million non-cash accrual for long-term compensation. Distributable cash flow was $148 million compared to $158 million in the same period last year. The decrease was mainly driven by higher maintenance capital spending in the quarter. Net earnings were $79 million. The gathering and processing segment delivered a record margin of $86 million as we reached new throughput highs at both the Wapiti and White Pipestone gas plants. We delivered $96 million of realized margins in our liquid infrastructure business. This result includes the impact of a planned maintenance outage at, our, at Kiera's Fort Saskatchewan complex. And our marketing segment delivered a realized margin of $78 million. We continue to apply a disciplined risk management approach to lock in our future cash flow. This approach is especially important in the context of funding our CAP pipeline project. A couple of notes in respect to guidance. We now expect our realized margins for the marketing segment to come in near the upper end of our guidance Second, as a result of strong performance so far this year and our expectations for the balance of the year, we now expect cash taxes for the year to increase to the 30 to $40 million range. We exited the quarter in a strong financial position. Net debt to adjust EBITDA was 2.7 times. This is well within our conservative target range, two and a half to three times. The company has $1.5 billion in available liquidity with minimal near-term debt. I'll now turn it over to Jamie to provide an update on our commercial activities. Thanks, Eileen, and good morning, everyone. We remain constructive on the pricing environment for the commodities we move through our systems. For natural gas, LNG off the west coast of Canada and major pipeline expansions will enable more exports to key growth markets, supporting a continued strong pricing environment for natural gas. Our outlook for propane pricing remains strong with low levels of inventories throughout North America currently, and the potential for strong demand in the fall. 
Our assets give us the ability to store product during low demand seasons so we can maximize margins by selling in the higher demand fall and winter seasons. We were able to lock in attractive butane supply costs for the 2021 contracting season, supporting the value of our ISO octane and blending businesses. Overall strength in crude prices and RBOB supports increased value for our ISO octane and condensate businesses. And finally, condensate demand continues to climb as our oil sand customers grow into expanding oil pipeline export capacity. The current pricing environment and renewed optimism has incented many producers to increase drilling activity throughout the basin, pushing up volumes across our integrated value chain. I'll now turn it over to Brad to provide an update on the CAPS project and speak to our operational highlights. Thanks, Jamie. I'm pleased to share that we have moved into the execution phase on the CAPS pipeline project with construction officially underway. In Q2, we successfully completed our first horizontal directional drill for the first river crossing of this project. A key part of our execution strategy is to complete the more challenging sections of construction early. It's a great first step to get this river crossing completed. Costs for the project, including steel and labor, are under contract with inflation protections in place. Costs remain on track, and the pipeline is expected to begin operations in early 2023. At the Wild Horse Crude Oil and Blending Terminal in Cushing, Oklahoma, we are fully operational, having completed commissioning in July. The new terminal includes 12 above-ground tanks with 4.5 million barrels of working storage capacity. It connects by pipeline to two existing storage terminals in Cushing. This business will be ramping up through the remainder of the year and into 2022. Turning now to the authorization program in our GNP segment, we safely completed turnarounds at the Zeta Creek and Brazo River gas plants in the second quarter. These were completed on time and on budget. Because of our integrated network of plants, we were able to redirect volumes to our other facilities, minimizing any impact to our customers and overall volumes. As part of our planned optimization program, we successfully shut down the Brazo North gas plant in July and will be shutting down the Racinus facility in the coming months. We expect to realize the full benefits of the optimization program on completion in 2022. In July, we completed some work at the Wapiti gas plant. The facility was taken offline for about 10 days to install a new waste heat recovery unit and perform other minor maintenance work. This planned outage was completed on time and on budget and will support the future reliability of this facility. With that, I'll hand it over to Dean for some closing comments. Thanks, Brad. Garrett's value proposition continues to be the delivery of a sustainable and growing dividend. That proposition is underpinned by low debt leverage and investments in projects that generate strong returns, which contribute to expanding distributable cash flow per share. Looking ahead, Kiera will continue to be focused on being a safe, reliable, and sustainable operator dedicated to serving our customers and generating value for our shareholders. We're excited about the future, and we're confident we have the culture, people, and assets to deliver results. On behalf of Kiera's board of directors and our management team, I thank you for your continued support. With that, I'll turn it back to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your 
request and your questions will be polled in the order that you are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by 2. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your hands up for pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering. Matt, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions here, guys. If I could just start at AEF, I wanted you to talk about some of the opportunities you're seeing that are possible for that facility to take advantage of, of the clean fuel standards that could come next year. I know you've talked about it uh, you know, briefly in the past. I'm wondering if you're looking at having to spend CapEx or, uh, or other opportunities now that we're getting closer to when it might come. So Matt, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, we, we definitely see some opportunities and, and the majority of them are re really around the, um, the uh, emissions intensity, um, optimization opportunities, um, you know, the potential for, for biofeeds um, in, into that facility as well to ultimately create a, uh, a bioisooctane. Um, nothing to report as of yet, but uh, we're certainly um, dedicating resources to it and optimistic that we'll, we'll be able to um, show some meaningful benefit to our shareholders in the future. Yeah, thanks for that, Jamie. Would you say it's still fairly early stages or are you starting to move into to, to thinking about project types of projects, size of projects? Yeah, I, I, you know, I would say it's early stages with respect to us being able to announce a project, but, you know, we're well in, 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 uh, uh, in the process of, of evaluating the opportunities and, and doing the necessary engineering work to, to be able to ultimately sanction those opportunities. Great, thanks for that. And then I wanted to touch on, um, on your comments about propane strengthening significantly. Um, my understanding is liquidity is quite weak in Alberta and, and you hedge most of that against your U.S. benchmarks, but do you have any broader comments about how you are, are positioning the business to take advantage of of better long-term pricing and, and whether that will materially impact uh, your results going forward? Yeah, well, a couple of comments is that, you know, I think as we noted, the inventory of propane in North America is, is um, at, at lower than usual levels. And, and in order for, um, you know, propane to be incented to be put into storage that ultimately will serve what we anticipate will be the winter demand, um, we're going to have to see an increase in, in, in pricing on, on, in the forwards. Otherwise, those barrels are going to find uh, their way into the export market. So just from a fundamentals perspective, we're, we're very bullish, and that's one of the, you know, the primary reason why we believe propane prices will have to strengthen um, between now and, uh, and the fall and winter um, demand season. Now, prices are already very strong, and, uh, you know, and that's driven primarily off of um, some supply demand dynamics, but also more so on the global demand, um, you know, for that product. So, you know, as, as we've shared with uh, people before, you know, we, we have the assets in, in place, whether it's storage and or logistically, to be able to hit the highest value markets, um, you know, through North America, throughout North America, when those higher prices ultimately materialize. And we're using our risk management um, program to basically lock in those margins when we, when we see, um, you know, that those differentials materialize. And the last one I'd make is obviously the strong 
pricing for propane, um, you know, supports our producers. That, that is going to allow them to uh, see the economics of drill, drilling more wells and also sees the value of our um, deeper cut value proposition in our gathering processing business. Great, thanks for that, Jamie. Just a follow-up to that, is that um, those positive fundamentals, is that reflected in your, your uh, revised commentary now that you're looking at the top end of your marketing guidance? It would be, Matt. Great, thanks, that's all for me. Thank you. Your next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, everyone. And I guess uh, first off, uh, Brad, uh, all the best in the uh, the new endeavors, and congrats. Thank you. And then, and then maybe just okay, turning the attention to the kind of go forward outlook here. Um, you know, volumes are increasing nicely, offset by some kind of heat related weakness uh, in June. But how are your conversations progressing with customers regarding, you know, potentially to add some contracted volumes on your on your northern plants so, or even your southern plants? And I guess then a, a follow-on would be kind of how are conversations going on caps for additional contracts? Okay, um, sorry. So uh, I'll start with the, the first question. Um, you know, the, the fundamentals um, are are really starting to translate into increased drilling activity um, that we expect to see positive uh, continued momentum, um, you know, into Q3 and, and and into Q4 for the remainder of the year. Um, you know, from a contracting perspective, typically we wouldn't see longer term contracts unless we were looking to spend capital. So um, you know, we're, we're just um, talking to existing customers. Um, around our facilities that ultimately are, are giving us positive indications on increasing utilization at, at, in our gathering processing facilities, um, specifically the, the south, um, but also around our Simonette gas plant as well in the north. Um, Wapiti and Pipestone um, are contracted primarily to, um, to um, existing producers that similarly are, are uh, um, you know, drilling actively, and, and we're starting to see some positive increase in volumes there. As it pertains to caps, you know, I think we've talked about this probably on the previous uh, conference call, is that, you know, as, as we get into uh, the construction um, in, in full force on that facility or, or that opportunity, and ultimately give um, line of sight to being able to be complete in, in Q1 2023, which is certainly still our expectation, we, we expect that we're going to be able to, uh, um, you know, increase the contracting. But at this point, um, you know, customers are, are, are waiting to see how we're progressing on, on construction. The one thing I would note is our existing producers were certainly very encouraged with respect to um, their ability to meet their or exceed their contracted volumes on caps. And uh, some of those customers have step-up rates of which we're, we're obviously – of talking to them about the potential for those step-up rates. But similarly, like any option, they're, they're being patient with respect to when they might want to exercise those step-up rates. Hey, Rob, it's, uh, it's Dean. Maybe I could just add a, a few other comments. I mean, you know, quite frankly, you know, six months into the year, we were sort of surprised at maybe how fast activity rebounded. I mean, if you look at drilling activity, you're back to sort of five-year norms. Um, but, but overall, I mean, obviously balance sheets are improving very quickly. And as you would know, um, a lot of the producers have hedged volumes 
But those hedge volumes, uh, especially in the first quarter and second quarter, were hedged at low values because they would have put those positions in in 2020. As every quarter rolls off, so you get into Q3, Q4, and into 22, those hedge floors are at much higher levels. So again, I think their ability and actually capturing the economics of the pricing environment that we're seeing today, that's going to be more fully realized as we go forward. So again, generally the feedback we receive from our customers is that they are going to wrap up uh, activity in a bigger way as, as we look forward towards the end of the year and into 2022. Um, I, you know, maybe the other comment would be is that I think um, in some of the M&A activity that we've seen over the last six to nine months is probably helping us because there's some um, players, uh, you know, that, that weren't very active in some of the areas that we have facilities. And, uh, you know, again, under new ownership, uh, better capitalized companies, um, they're demonstrating that they're going to be more active. So, again, you know, overall, I think that's a, that's a good tailwind for us. All right. Excellent. I appreciate the color. I'll hop back in the queue. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Your next question. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With TD Bank, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I wanted to uh, congratulate Brad Locke on a successful career and wish him all the best. Thank you, Linda. Um, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, as as it relates to your um, gathering and processing um, optimization strategy, um, you're starting. Uh, you've you've realized benefits already in the first half of this year. I'm wondering how that might ramp up um, for the balance of the year in Q3 and Q4, and what factors uh, might determine where in the 20 to 30 million range that uh, Kira achieves in 2021, and might uh, it ramp up uh, further potentially if you only achieve at the lower end this year, um, might you achieve even more in 2022? Hi, Linda. It's Eileen. I, I can start with that. Um, you know, I think we, we have certainly started to see the benefit in the first half of the year. It does take time for some of those operating costs as we continue to shut down plants to, to see those come out of the system. So we expect that to continue and, and we have a final plant yet to close in 2022. There will, of course, be some offsets. These are costs that are with, well within our control that, that we're we have um, reduced, it's, but there will be some offsets such as power, I would say, that, that could offset some of that, but we are within that, well within that range. Maybe this, Brad, um, the only other thing I would say is I think the the, the optimism we're seeing out there in, in volumes is certainly um, a positive tailwind as well. So, um, you know, our strategy was was to, to get our cash, our cost structure in place, but to still provide opportunity for growth volumes to land within our network. And I think we're starting to see some of that occur, and we're optimistic that that's going to continue to occur in the back half of this year, the 2022, that will allow us to hit the kind of objectives that we've laid out. Um, thank you. Uh, and on a separate note, I'm, I'm just wondering as it relates to 
um, working towards a, a lower carbon future. We're starting to see some partnerships announced and also uh, some uh, positioning in terms of different parts uh, of the value chain as it relates to carbon capture, hydrogen, et cetera. I'm wondering how you think about um, the levers to accelerate that transition uh, as it relates to potential acquisitions or divestitures or partnerships. Um, how do you think about um, you know, your in-house competencies versus uh, how you might um, uh, look for other ways to, uh, to position yourself for those opportunities? Island of Theme. Um, very good question. Um, obviously, we we think that we're very well positioned for um, for, for lower carbon future, and um, you know it's something that we have a dedicated team. Uh, our new ventures team is headed up by uh, Bradley Sussex, and um, and really they're looking at new opportunities um, to to help us transition in, in the future. Um, as you know, we have a lot of partnerships, so we're not shy about sort of leveraging our strengths and combining that with strengths of other other partners to uh, to create a better result. You know, when we think about this from a macro perspective, I think that we need to be thinking more about how do we make our, our basin more efficient to create create solutions like this and um, and working together to make that happen. Because I think if we all try to solve, um, you know, again, carbon transition or lower carbon future by ourselves, it won't be as efficient as if we try to do it together. So we've talked a bit before about um, you know some of the assets that we have to leverage, and, and you know we have acid gas injection at six facilities already. So you know can we leverage that to actually capture and store more more carbon using existing facilities and, and things like that? We we're definitely looking at. We have our you know 1,300 acres of land in industrial heartland that um, you know and, and a pipeline that's rated for hydrogen that that basically extends through the industrial heartland as well. So. We do have some assets and expertise to um, to bring to the table to help enable, um, you know, again, hydrogen uh, uh, development. Um, but again, you know, we we are certainly open to working with others that are more um, experienced in that space. Again, leverage combined expertises to uh, to make it successful. But at the end of the day, with all these ideas, we certainly know the the world's moving in this direction. It also has to be profitable for our shareholders. So, you know, again, we're also working with the, the end, um, you know, consumers uh, in the future to, to try to underpin um, that, that service. So we're trying to work with different partners at the same time, I guess, to try to advance these ideas. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. Your next question comes from... And fan with BMO, please go ahead. Hi, thanks, Mario. I want to continue on energy transition. You, you talk about acid gas injection, you talk about hydrogen, and also, also uh, some of the, the renewable power uh, purchases. Uh, what about the CCS opportunity in Alberta? Is there any, any positioning from your perspective that uh, you could benefit directly or indirectly from that? For benefit from uh, what, what what was that again, Ben? It's the, the carbon capture storage opportunity oh. in Alberta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll start. I think uh, um, you know certainly as we look at uh, at decarbonization in the Edmonton Port Saskatchewan hub, 
uh, and some of the, the existing infrastructure that's there and new infrastructure that's being proposed. Um, I think there's lots of opportunity for us to, to um, participate um, both on an equity perspective, but also just from a service perspective to help decarbonize our existing facilities and support other producers in the area with their decarbonizing efforts as well. And I think as we start thinking about our new ventures team that Jamie referred to earlier, um, it's certainly one of their um, their key objective is to look at, at all the various opportunities that exist out there to transition as an organization and to support industry transition and try to find the places where we can play. Okay. Uh, and maybe on on a growth initiative, uh, last time we've, uh, we've seen frac capacity reach these levels, you were commenting on potential expansions and uh, on the fractionization side, are you just something that's that's heating heating up a bit more in your your conversations? Well, it's it's obviously something been that we're looking at. Um, it, there's there's lots of things um, since our last conference call that that go into the dynamics of the demand for frac and ultimately where barrels are going to uh, um, existing barrels will place be placed from frac and ultimately future barrels, barrels as well. So those are all the dynamics that we looked at. At the end of the day, CAPS is an extremely strategic project for us, and it's going to um, supply barrels into the Fort Saskatchewan area and into our facilities that um, we believe will enable us to be able to um, look at downstream capital investment opportunities that will be very creative and beneficial to our shareholders, whether that's on the condensate side or the C3 Plus side. Um, of, um, of caps, so um, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, that we're looking at, and and uh, um, believe that once we get line of sight as to uh, those barrels showing up, we'll uh, you know we'll be able to take advantage of that. And then my last question: Do you do you think you have enough visibility of line of sight of of moving towards guidance on EBITDA on a more of a broader? Uh, well with your asset base because you, you get the marketing guidance which is probably the hardest one to, to figure out you have gas processing stabilizing cost optimization look at the infrastructure take or pay is that is that also the, the long-term plan for you to, to to consider that in the future hi ben it is something that we are considering you're absolutely right marketing is the the biggest piece sometimes the timing of that we don't know that until our contract season is is, is underway or, or completed. So that's why we provide that in Q1. Um, but, but that is something that, you know, we are considering and, and you know, at looking at, as, especially as we have better line of sight into the gathering and processing business and it continues to stabilize. Okay, great. Thank you. And, and also congratulations in retirement prep. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Cadillier with CIBC. Please go ahead. Hey, I just wondered if you had some initial thoughts on the uh, Blueberry River First Nation case and what that might mean for future development. Yeah, uh, Rob, uh, good morning. Um, yeah, obviously, um, you know, we're, we're very aware of the decision and we've, we've reviewed it. Um, you know, we've talked to our customers about it and, and consistent with them and other stakeholders, we're waiting the outcome of the negotiations between the 
Blueberry River First Nation and the BC government to assess uh, potential impacts. But really overall, it, it, um, to us, it underscores the importance of having strong relationships with all of our stakeholders. And, and obviously that includes the Indigenous community. And, uh, and we're, it's something we're very committed to. Okay, and then uh, it looks like uh, Brookfield's closing in on uh, buying Interpipeline here. Uh, so do you, do you see any opportunities uh, for CARA falling out of that, perhaps um, opportunities to work more closely with Brookfield? Well, like to my earlier comments, um, Rob, I mean, obviously we're always opportunity driven uh, and uh, we, we work well with others and that would apply to everyone, including Brookfield. So if there's opportunities to work with them, uh, assuming that they, you know, they, they take up the required amount of shares, um, you know, we'll certainly pursue that opportunity. Okay, last question for me. Um, you had some comments on the MDNA about uh, uh, some condensate contract renewal. So I, I wondered if you could talk about the uh, the relative commercial terms there. Uh, I understand there, there were some volume increases and some extensions, but um, just the, the relative economics and any comment on what the, uh, the expiration schedule looks like from here. Yeah, Robert. Um, you know, all, all I can share is is that those, those contracts would have been negotiated on similar terms and and traditional length of contracts than we would have um, seen in the past. Okay. And with that, I'll uh, just uh, congratulate Brad on his retirement. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC. Please go ahead. Great, good morning. Um, if I can kind of come back to the questioning here, just around but targeting the way you look at your asset mix and your contracting mix. And I guess the first question here is, you've said in the past that you don't want to get any bigger uh, in G&P and really trying to focus on more take or pay streams. Is that still the case, um, particularly given just you know, the comments you've been making around um, producer activity and your drilling outlook? I would say I would characterize it, uh, Robert, as you know we want to fully utilize our our GMP assets to um, you know to the best of our ability and, and to their capacity. So we we think that there's uh, more growth there, and so we think that that's going to be a larger contributor in the future to our to our company. Um, in terms of capital investment in the future, we we see better opportunities on our um, on our liquid infrastructure side of our business. And historically, we've generated strong returns from it. And, and again, they're more basin-type assets, where it doesn't matter where the natural gas is produced. Um, you know, the, the NGL stuff to, to find a way to the hub, and a lot of that hub is obviously in Port Saskatchewan. So um, it's not to say we won't be making. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of small enhancements and things like that that uh, could generate you know strong returns. But uh, again, our focus is going to be about maximizing what we have. And then just as you talked about larger capital, does that, or that presumably that also applies to, to acquisition in the GMP side? Or lack yeah, of generally, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say our M&A strategy is that it, it has to be strategic. It's got to be um, accretive. So we're, you know, we're trying to always add value for our shareholders. So it's got to be accretive on a per share basis. You know, our, you know, we have to be consistent with our, our debt and, and uh, metrics and, and creating credit rating targets. Um, so, you know, when we think about all those strategic fits, could there be uh, GMP assets? Uh, it's possible, um, but 
you know, right now we see the best opportunities on the liquid side of our business. Got it. Um, and as I think about contracting mix and on acquisitions, just coming back to the, the Brookfield discussion, um, you know, given what they said today about potentially, um, you know, splitting up some of those assets, would you be interested though? You know, how do you think, well, I guess, sorry, how do you think about IPL's NGL assets given um, a very significant proportion of them have commodity exposure? So how do you think about your own uh, marketing exposure in the mix and then potentially whether it's these or just other assets taking on even more commodity exposure? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak specifically to IPL, but generally our goal is to add more uh, contracted cash flow stream and uh, and you know I guess you know when you look at projects like um, like caps um, you know that's that's exactly what it's going to deliver is just a very strong um, cash flow stream um, and and a lot of the other assets that we we look at it as well um, the one thing I would say though is in terms of our our overall asset mix is that you know sometimes we have outsized years in our in our marketing business and we're not going to turn it away I mean you know, obviously that enhances our overall financial position and funds other projects. We don't count on it, but um, it's possible that it happens. And sometimes it, from an optical perspective, it looks like we're too weighted to, um, to our marketing business. But again, overall, if you look at just the pure growth in our, in our um, fee-for-service business, um, we want to continue to grow that part of it. Perfect. Um, if I can just finish with a micro question here on GMP looking into the third quarter. So you've highlighted a couple of headwinds being um, the ethane curtailments at RIMBY, and I think it's about $5 million, somewhat similar impact on the Wapiti outage from a margin perspective. Um, are there other kind of either offsetting factors uh, to those amounts? And, and I guess the other thing, just as I think about the Q2 performance, um, what was the benefit, if any, from some of the volumes you received uh, related to third-party plant outages uh, in the quarter? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm racking my brain, Robert, so let me think, but um, I, I'm not aware that we would have benefited at all in Q2 from any third-party um, outages. I guess there was one, Brad's reminding me, there was one up in the north where we would have seen some minor volumes from a, from a, a large facility outage. Um, but, um, you know, other than that, there, there wasn't a lot of uptick on our business as a result of third parties. Um, to answer your your first question, though, is is that um, yeah, we're we're obviously the Dow outage is going to impact all of all of uh, the industry, but we also see uh, some some opportunities coming out of that as well from the perspective of uh, you know uh, a need to um, to to manage um, you know some some liquids that otherwise um, you know might might be displaced um, somewhere else. So. You know, the, it, it might show up in a different part of our business, but you know, uh, um, there there is some opportunities because of our integrated business that that we'll be able to realize as as a result of that outage, as it pertains to some of our assets around Port Saskatchewan and our marketing business. Um, around GMP, you know, I, I, I think we're just being repetitive with respect to the fact that we're continuing to see um, positive volume momentum um, that that you know we'll we'll see in Q3. Yeah, um, the only the only sort of headwinds that uh, we you know we see that we don't think are material, Robert, would be um, 
you know, obviously we've had some uh, some issues in terms of high ambient temperatures, and that affects the performance of our facilities. So we saw that more so at the end of June and uh, early July. But again, you know, I wouldn't say that that would be super significant. Um, you know, and, and I think we're into August now, so hopefully we don't see sort of 35 plus days, you know, 35 plus degree days uh, in the future. Um, and that and just our, our, our downtime associated with the uh, the waste heat recovery bundle that we, we talked about. Perfect. Okay. Thanks for the answers. Um, it's all for me and Brad. Uh, congrats and, and all the best in retirement. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Capverson, you may proceed. Thank you all once again for joining us today. Uh, please feel free to reach out to the Investor Relations team if you have any additional questions. Thank you all and have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your line. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.